Thanks, Tori. Well, good morning. Well, uh, it's uh, exciting, scary, nervous, and all those are different things to be up here uh, before you, and you're going to hear about some of the how we got here uh, this morning. It's indicative of Tori's leadership. The first day up here put me up here to preaching, um, which is, uh, you'll find out if, if you've done any of the uh, Myers-Briggs stuff, all that kind of stuff, we found out I'm actually pretty introverted, but it's amazing how I'm constantly in front of people. Um, and so uh, if you hear my voice quivering at the beginning here, you'll know why. Um, it's excitement at the same time, um, a little bit of nerves. So excited about what the journey is, where it's been, and I'm going to give you a little bit of an update. I want to uh, uh, kind of reiterate some things Tori said, that uh, my wife and I and the boys moved here to Austin um, about three and a half years ago. And we actually initially, you know, it's kind of exciting, I don't know where y'all are right now, but Bob and Martha... Um, are you out there? They are. <laughs> Bob and Martha were reasons why or initial initiated the process of coming. Um, I know God was the one that did it, but um, prompted them. And so three and a half years ago, we came here to help Bob and Martha uh, with their church plan. And very soon after doing that, we came and joined with the well, combined our churches together and have been a part of the well uh, for the majority of that, well, for most of our time here. And so it's interesting to see uh, it come to full circle and see what's happening. So today is a little less of a sermon and more of a uh, kind of a testimony about how we got to where we are, what God has done and doing in my heart, um, in the heart of my family, and uh, the excitement of what God has in store as we move forward. Um, now, officially, uh, first day in a position at the well. Um, I laugh because you will see in the moment why it's so funny. Um, so looking at it, I honestly remember uh, back when my grandmother, I had one of those old school black grandmothers who uh, took us to, we went to a group in a traditionally black church on both sides of my, my family. And my, my, my dad's mom, um, who was very, very close to me, very uh, dear lady in my heart, was the person that first showed me who Jesus was, uh, told me in fourth grade, she said, Michael, you're going to be a pastor. And I laughed and I said, there's no way in the world I'm going to do that. Um, because the example that I had at that time was this very loud, boisterous, pipe smoking man at the front of the pulpit that I saw every Sunday. That I saw a pastor, loved the man, respected him, but I was like, there's no way in the world I'm going to do that. And I thought it was hilarious that she said that. Um, so my journey was that I honestly grew up thinking I was going to go into medicine. I had the desire from a very early age to go to, to, to medical school and had a scholarship to go to New Mexico State uh, to study pre-med. And when God saved me in uh, high school, he completely changed my heart. I got to where I hated science. <laughs> kind of hard when you go to the medical field. Um, got to where I hated science, didn't want to be a part of that. Um, and God introduced me to my very first spiritual father. His name was Darren Tidwell. And this was a man that walked me through a journey of what it meant to love God, what it meant to love people, and how to serve him. And I thought, man, God, if I'm going to go into medicine, what am I going to do? And because of his leadership, I began to see what God had already started in me very early on was to go into ministry. And so that's the journey that I went. I turned down my scholarship to New Mexico State, and I went on to Wayland Baptist University. Woohoo! Um, many of you are like, where in the world? A little small public town in the panhandle of Texas is where it is. Um, went on to school there and started, um, got an undergraduate degree in religion and uh, spent four years there. Amazing years. That's actually where I met Bob and Martha. Uh, became an intern of Bob's at First Baptist Church Plainview, and that's its own story in and of itself. Um, and so had a chance to get to really grow under Bob's and Martha's leadership there and began doing ministry. And that just kind of where ministry 
um, happened, went on and continued doing ministries in a number of different areas. And I'm not going to get into some of the details, but if you want to know more about it later, ask me. We could talk on this about it forever. Um, part of that journey, though, was many steps of um, what I look back on were character building, uh, <laughs> things that happened, but there were some really difficult times through there. And walking through this journey called ministry and what does that mean to be a pastor. Um, and some things that I look back on now, and I noticed that they were, they were God's doing, but uh, in the time, it was really some things that we're going to talk about in just a second about what I see were the places where my heart began to get hardened. Um, hardened to God's call. Not so much to God, not so much to um, even people in general. It was just simply hardened to what is it that God truly has in, in for me and for my family and seeing what that is. So went all through that journey, did, uh, did ministry for a long time, and, and back in... 2004, started grad school with counseling, knew I wanted to help people. God had always called me to pastor people. So I went back, got him a degree in counseling, and have been practicing counseling for the last eight years or so. Um, we'll continue to do that in some capacities, but um, went back and got my counseling, master's degree in counseling, and have been practicing in counseling and doing public mental health in many different areas. The interesting thing is, so in this journey, in this transition, has been uh, thinking about calling the the, the just the term or what it is that God is doing, it calls to a calling. I think that uh, God does call specific people to do specific things. He calls men, he calls women to different areas in the, their lives. Um, my grandmother put a mark on me, <laughs> as I always say, she prayed it in uh, very early on. It's her fault um, that when it comes to ministry, I have always known that I was a pastor. I've always known it in my heart that God has called me to shepherd and lead people. Um, I don't think that the last eight years of me doing uh, public mental health have been in vain. I honestly think God has given me a more sensitive heart to people and, and being able to touch and minister to the needs of people where they are um, and to be able to walk through that journey with people. And so he's enhanced those. Um, but starting about a year and a half ago, he reminded me of the real call. Um, and we'll, we'll jump in that a little bit more in just a second. But what is it? All right, so what is the call? I think the very first slide I had up here is um, the, uh, I forgot to tell you about the Bible app. I'm getting used to this. All right, so if you have <laughs> in, the, in, the, uh, in your phones or if you're following electronically, you can uh, follow us in the Bible app there. Plug that either into your search uh, browser or go to the, the, the Bible app or the, um, uh, what's the thing called? version. thank you. Uh, plug that in there, and you can follow along with me as we go through this if I stay in order myself. All right? So, next thing. <clears throat> Two more. There it is. So, call to do what? Um, purposely thinking about what it is it that God has called us to. Why has he called me to do this? Why is it necessary? Um, I'm looking through, and I stay... Uh, try to think about what is my lane, what is my direction, where am I going this? Um, I think like many men, I can easily get caught up in my identity being in what I do. Um, and so if you think about the most American conversation being, all right, I think I just asked it this morning, actually. I said to another man, hey, so what do you do in the city? Um, it's just that our initial conversation, we can easily get caught up in our identity, can get caught up in what we do and forgetting about who we are and who we belong to, and who God has made us to be. It's very easy, and I, I can fall in that category very easily. Um, thinking about my journey in mental health, God has really blessed me um, in the public mental health sector. Right now, does it make sense? It doesn't make sense for me to make a transition from where I am professionally 
to back into ministry. It makes absolutely no sense. And for about a year, I, I kind of had that question back and forth and that fight back and forth because I'm seeing some, actually what the world would say is some great success. Um, and, and what's happening, things that are going on, the motion, the movement that's happening, it doesn't make sense. Um, but uh, when we step back and look at God's calling, I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Ezekiel, when I started thinking about this, I started thinking about um, Ezekiel's story. And we're going to jump into Ezekiel in just a second. Um, but Bob taught me something numerous years ago. I think it's hilarious that they're here um, today. <laughs> it's pretty interesting walking this. I remember when I was an intern with Bob uh, that uh, one of the things he always did opening up his messages when we were in the youth ministry was Bob would always look up words. And he would challenge you to go and like, all right, so I found this word. What is the meaning? So go to the dictionary. And he'd go and he'd give the, the dictionary, the Webster's dictionary of, of what, um, what some of the words mean. So we're going to do that in just a second and start looking at some things. Really quickly, let's look, though, in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Is that where I am on the notes? Ah, look at there. All right. <clears throat> Starting in verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature in manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ, from whom the whole body joined and healed together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So two things we're going to look at out of that passage. Twelve, first, to equip the saints for the, the work of ministry, for the building up the body. So looking at the role specifically, may have those who called in leadership in, uh, in the church. And then further down, you see it highlighted when it says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that the building itself is up in love. Two things I want to give a caveat to is, one, uh, some of this is going to sound deficit-based initially uh, because of some of the struggles and pains, but then when we get to the end, you'll see where some of the hope is. So this is where the definitions come in. If you think about some of those specific things, he said he called them be prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Let's look at some of the definitions. This is where Bob's influence comes in. Some of the definitions of some of these things. First one, I believe, is um, apostle. So I went to Webster's. Um, good uh, place to find some definitions. First thing Webster said was, once sent on a mission as the first prominent Christian missionary to be to a region or group. Okay, no pressure in that at all. Person who initiates a great moral reform or who first advocates on an important belief or system, then the highest ecclesiastical official in some church organizations. The benefit is I'm not coming up and calling you that I'm an apostle, so I don't have to fill that one, all right? But if you think about some of those roles, this is just simply what Webster calls or defines some of these roles to being. So that's apostle. Um, that's, that's kind of a, a, a big bag to carry, right? So look at the next one. Prophet. One who utters divinely inspired revelations. Not getting that today either. One regarded by a group of followers as the final authoritative revealer of God's will. 
one gifted with more than an ordinary spiritual and moral insight, especially an inspired poet, um, and then one who foretells future events and predictor. So as you see the theme we're walking through, when we talk about call and what God has called to do specific positions, I don't know about you, but when I read some of these, that doesn't sound like an easy task. It sounds like, it actually sounds like kind of a great responsibility for one leading other people, what God's call is and what they need to do. I do think it's funny. Let's look at the next two. <clears throat> Next, next three. A writer of any of the, the four Gospels is the evangelist, a person who evangelizes specifically a Protestant minister or layman who preaches at special services. Okay. An enthusiastic advocate. I thought it was hilarious that it said an evangelist for physical fitness. It was part of that. All right. That's probably more Coloma's role than mine in this. All right, so the last two here, um, pastor, teacher, and these are two, when you think about spiritual gifts, these are two areas, if you ever did that, were places that I really feel like where God has, has placed me, and look how short they are. I was kind of excited. So pastor, a spiritual overseer, especially a clergyman serving a local church or parish. Pretty simple, right? And then teacher, one that teaches, wow, especially one whose occupation is to instruct so call and responsibility, those are specific roles that God has said when he said in the scripture, they, Paul talking about how they've come to equip us, equip the saints for ministry, right? There's responsibility of those oversight, of the individuals giving oversight to equip the saints for ministry. Ezekiel, if you go over to the book of Ezekiel with me, we're going to be in uh, chapter 36 is where we're going to be. As I started reading, praying through this and singing, all right, God, I know you don't want me to stand up and talk about myself for um, 30 minutes. What else do we need me to do? There was, I went back and forth about different things. I want to do some comparisons of Paul and David and how horrible they were, and then God used them, um, all that stuff, and just kind of, but it never seemed to land right. And I don't remember if I was in a devotional or what I was doing one day, and I came across Ezekiel, and it's not a book that I just pick up and read every day. Um, but I read it, and I started thinking through, and I started thinking about Ezekiel specifically, and I want you to think about some of his, the history, what his story is. In the year of 606 B.C., uh, the Babylonians began their first of several deportations of the Jews. So if you think even current events, it's amazing how the, the word of God becomes relevant no matter when it was written, when it was written, no matter when we are in the time we are now. But several deportations to the, of Jews um, uh, to Babylon. Daniel was in this group, so we know about Daniel. And then in the second group was Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a priest, all right? And so Ezekiel was one of, just like, actually kind of like Jeremiah, was a, a priest who turned prophet. And as we saw earlier, a prophet is one who brought the word of God that foretold things. While he was in exile in Babylon, he also was given foresight of what was happening with the people back in Jerusalem. And so he had this, you read throughout Ezekiel, and it's kind of this weird thing where he's talking about um, the son of God do this, where the Lord has said this. He's giving all of these visions to Ezekiel um, and calling him to go and to spread the news in exile. Right? So I am taken away from my people. I'm taking what, what is known for me. I'm taken out of that, and I'm going to teach and, and to proclaim the word of God to these people while I'm in exile. So any of you ever, maybe because of the day and time, it's very likely that we have people in this room who have had to leave their home of origin and come to the United States. That's a difficult place. It's hard for many of us to be able to be ourselves in the midst of where we are and where we live, but to go and be someone uh, that God wants us to be in a different place is another thing. Ezekiel was sent out to do that and told to take the word of God to the people. Something that I found out interesting in looking at this was that Ezekiel wasn't just a messenger. Ezekiel was also to live out the message that he was taking to the people. And I think for my own story, it's very, for a long time, it was really easy for me to, 
think of my, who I am and my role, specifically as a role. I was a pastor. I was to preach. I was to teach. I was supposed to take care of the people. And sometimes it's very easy to separate that from our own lives and forget that the message that we're bringing, the message that we're teaching has to be lived out before it can actually be properly taught. Ezekiel lived that out. I began seeing with Ezekiel that it wasn't just the fact that he was told, he was brought out of exile. It wasn't by chance that he happened to be one of them taking an exile to Babylon, that he was also a prophet, that God had taken from being a priest and taking care of the people to being a prophet of saying, guess what? This isn't going to last forever, right? That was his message. Where we are, what's going on, isn't going to last forever. So someone that they were familiar with, sound familiar? Someone that they knew, trusted, was alongside of them in the midst of them, and God was using the word through him to bring comfort, to bring joy, to bring some level of hope in the midst of what was going on. But think about this. This is what tripped me out about our man, Ezekiel. There's some things that he had to go through um, in order to be able to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the truth to the people, and to be able to bring the message to them. Um, this is where it gets a little scary, I think. <laughs> these, all these things are countercultural. Okay, as we start thinking about these and we think about what's happening in the time, people are exiled, removed from the place. There were traditions, there was war happening, all these different things that were going on. And Ezekiel was uh, asked to do some weird, weird stuff. The first of which um, was to appear that he was mocking war. I'm just going to give you some references to these places. We're not going to go into scripture. Um, I think they should be pulled uh, on the slide. Um, he was given reference and things that, that he was told to do to show that he was sent by God, okay? And all of these things in the midst of exile, in the midst of war, he is asked to do. So the first thing is kind of make fun or mock or to appear to be mocking um, the fact that they're in war. So out in front of people, mocking, two, those two things kind of go together in that same passage in chapter four. Lie on his side for a number of days. So you literally had this guy that was told to just to lay out, go and lay naked on his side out in the middle of everybody for a number of days. Anybody volunteering to do these things? When you think about a calling and think about what God may call to do that and total obedience, this stuff is, to me, kind of scary. Shave his hair or beard, that one's not a problem. Um, so that one was kind of easy, although my razors are out of date, and so I do look scruffy this morning. But in that, if you think culturally, there was a symbol when it comes to what you, your, the beard, uh, the way the hair was worn, all those different things. There was a symbolism in those. There was a tradition in those. It was a cultural thing to, to your appearance and what you look like. Positionally, he was a prophet and priest, so that was also something that designated him of that. So to completely take that away and wipe it away. Um, made him stand out. You're in this position, why are you now bald <laughs> without a beard? Act like he was fleeing, getting away for, from, so therefore, then that's passage you see where he was um, initially trying to get out of exile. So he's trying to escape. It looks like he was trying to escape. And so you're our prophet, you're our teacher, why are you trying to get away? Why are you trying to get out and maybe leaving us behind? We see that in chapter 12. And then in five, you see him sitting in awe and watch the potential of Jehovah, uh, Jehovah's wrath. We see in verse 21 where um, he is able to look. And as I said, he's, God has given him vision. He's given him sight into what's happening and the potential wrath that has come into the people. Um, he's able to see those things. Imagine the burden that comes when God reveals to you what the potential is for his people. And the, the load he has to carry for that and the message he has to bring for that to the people. It's a lot. And then the big one, I think... And six is lose his wife and not be allowed to publicly mourn her. So you imagine this is you're in exile, you're away, you're held in the responsibility of uh, bringing the word of God to uh, people, the hope to a, a group of people. 
And then not only does he lose his wife, he is specifically told in Scripture that he's not to publicly mourn. Don't let them see you mourning the loss of your wife. Anybody ready to jump into ministry? <laughs> looking through those, and, and where does this fit? What does it fit with me? As I began looking through, and as I told you, if you want more details, we can talk about it later. Um, I, in our time of ministry, uh, there, was, there were many, many times where uh, some things happened that I just looked back and I thought, man, God, I, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Though, so if you called us, you called me to preach your word, to pastor people, to take care of them, why are these things happening? Why are these people turning on us? Why are these people doing this? Why are these things going on? And at the time, it didn't make sense. And in the midst of all of that, this is where I think my heart began to harden a little bit. The beauty is I don't think it necessarily happened to Ezekiel. We don't see that in, in the passage where he says that that's what's going on with him. Um, but my heart began to harden a little bit towards, all right, God, if this is ministry, if this is what you have for me, I'm, I'm done with it. I don't want anything to do with it. So I went on to grad school, um, got a master's degree in counseling, and, and moved forward in that. Um, I don't think any of that was in vain. I know it wasn't in vain um, to do it. But being able to step back and say, if this is what you've asked, that I make these sacrifices and yet it's not seeing the fruit of it, I don't really know that, that that's, what, that's what I want to do um, and that that's where I want to step into. So a year, I'm going to jump forward quite a bit and seeing where this fits. About a year and a half ago or so, Bob and Martha um, came to us and said uh, that they were going to be moving to Brazil to plant a church. And it was after we had moved here and uh, we knew they were going on. Tori and I met at uh, Mi Madre's right up the street. And we were sitting there talking about kind of what's going on, what's happening, and the changes that were coming forth. And it was very, very, very clear to me that morning that God said, all right, it's time for you to step back up. And it's time for you to to go to the well and be on staff at the well. Very clear. I said a year and a half ago. <laughs> In the midst of that year and a half, I said, God, this is what I remember. Honestly, this is what I remember about ministry. I remember the headaches. I remember the pain. I remember the not-so-fun things that, um, that we went through in ministry. I really don't want much to do with that, God. Thanks. And so... I really, I stepped back and said, mm, I'm not, uh, no, that's not what you want. At least that's not what I want. And so didn't do it. My wife, sitting right here, the closest person to me in this room, didn't even hear those words. Um, didn't even hear, because one, I know she hears the Lord better than I do. I didn't want her to affirm it. <laughs> I didn't want her to say, yes, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So I admittedly, before you to say there was a level of rebellion that just said, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to step back into that because that was my picture. I mean, that was my picture of what ministry was, is that you have called me to do a whole bunch of stuff that I, don't, I really don't want the pain. I'm kind of doing really well with mental health and in the public, I'm doing pretty good. I don't want to step back into this. So as I continue to read in Ezekiel, something became really, really clear to me. I mentioned to you earlier about how there's requirements for um, and then the, the responsibility of definitions of those different roles. I read about Ezekiel and what, uh, what God had called him to do and where he was. And as I continue to read in chapter 36, I began to see the message that Ezekiel was taking to the people. And honestly, I thought, man, that's a great message. 
It's a great message to go tell people about the hope that there is in God. And we're in 2017. It's so exciting about going to people about the hope of what we can have in 2017 of how God can take our heart of stone and he can turn it to a heart of flesh. And I'm going to tell the people all of those great, amazing things. But guess what? God said, Michael, you have a heart of stone. When I finally got to the place where I said, okay, God, this is it. I began to realize, okay, God, this heart of stone that I've had, you want to turn into flesh. So let's read in Ezekiel 36. I'm actually going to start in verse 22. And this is after all the stuff has gone on, all of the chaos, the craziness, and we begin to see some level of hope. Therefore, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declare, I am the Lord declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then we continue on, we'll look at some more of that in just a second. So that first part of that he says that I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So there are many aspects of this where we see salvation, the civil, uh, uh, salvation very clear and, and very pointed about God returning his people to him. But where this fits for me is a message that I thought was amazing to go and give to a group of people in the midst of recognizing identity, call, all those different things, I began to see the hardening of my heart. And as I was literally sitting and walking through a, a prayer time, one of the first things that came to me was, Michael, you have a heart of stone. Because it's been hardened to the what I want for you. You've been hardened to what I truly desire for you. I want to give you a heart of flesh. I had forgotten what it was to truly be in that place of just peace about who God is and what he's doing. And honestly, was a little blind to that, but at the same time, actually a little rebellious to it because I knew, I felt like I knew what was coming with if I submitted. So that message of Ezekiel, the one that was bringing it, probably displayed the best picture of what it meant to truly be humbled before God and allow for him to be open to what it is God wants to do. Probably was the best picture of that, but had to live some troubled things, some difficult things in his own life. But then being able to come back and give a message of hope to say, you know what, you are people who have been hardened to God. Guess what? God in himself, I am going to restore it. I am going to change it. I'm going to make it new and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to bring hope. And he says all throughout of this is, all throughout this, I am the one that's going to do it. I am the one that's going to turn. I am the one who's going to do these things. Not Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the messenger. He's not the one that's going to do it. But turning a heart from stone to flesh. The second thing that he talks about in uh, verses 27 and 28 is that he will do it. He will give and put a spirit, his spirit within us. So, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in the statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to you, to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I would be lying to you if I said that I wasn't really nervous about what's coming next um, in the next 
years to come <laughs> serving at the well. Um, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. But there's some peace to know that the Holy Spirit of God that does dwell within me and that spirit that God has given has given purpose, that there is a, a desire, there is a will that God has for it that we get a chance to be a part of. I get the chance to be in a part and, and be one of your pastors, but the great thing is it's a promise to all of us. It's not just a promise to Michael. It's not just a promise to the pastoral staff. It's a promise to us all. And so what he desires, what he has coming forth before us is a good thing. And it's dwell, his spirit dwells within us, and therefore we can lean on that truth and lean and know that he is the one that's going to take us forward. So his promise is kept. He's going to restore his people to him, right? He is trying to bring his people back to himself, and we get the chance to be a part of that. And finally, in verses 29 to 32, he says, I will make the fruit of the tree and the increases of the field abundant. If I look back, um, and not when, I, when I look back on the years that Coleman and I had in ministry, um, there are still young people that we are very much still in contact with. Uh, we've gotten to see marriages. We've gotten to do baby dedications, all these different things, to see different things that have happened in ministry. Um, and, and there were joyous times, so don't, please don't hear that it was all awful. Um, there were joyous times that we got to see the work of God and what he's doing. My personality lends towards wanting to know the outcome. I want to know what's going to be coming in the end if I'm going to put my efforts towards it. Scripture tells us that it, he is going to take care of that. I don't know where the well is going to be, and it definitely not on my shoulders. Tori's lead pastor. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where, what God has in store, but I do have faith that God has got it in control. That he is the one in charge of where it goes and we have the opportunity to just be obedient to the call and obedient to what he is, he is up to and what he's doing. And the final verse is he talks about restoring his namesake and bringing individuals back to him. Um, probably about a month ago, uh, we had a couple visiting our church, husband and wife. Their children live in Austin. They are moving from Oklahoma to, I think, Maryland or Missouri or something. And they had just been visiting our church because their um, children live close to the well. So they got up one Sunday morning and they said, we want to go to church somewhere close, and they found the well. And they came here. We got to meet them that Sunday. The next Sunday they came back, and it was, happened to be the Sunday that we made the announcement that I accepted the position um, at the well. And so she came up to me after that Sunday and she said, um, all week you have been on my heart. You've been on my heart. And in, in that, God has told me, um, I don't know if this word means for you, but he said, um, God is going to restore you. She goes, I don't know you and I hope that rings a bell. <laughs> I hope this isn't weird. But she said, I want to tell you that God is going to restore you. He's going to take this time and there's a level of restoration that is about to happen, not only for you, for your family, for those who need it, God is in a time of restoration and rest in that. Man, it was right on point. Because it was in this process of thinking, man, God, what does this transition look like? It doesn't make any sense. But having hope that he knows what he's doing and what he's up to, um, he has got it in control. So what does this all mean? How does this all pull together? Um, as we step into this new year, as we step into what God has next for us, it's not so much about our position. It's not about what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. We start a new year. Some of you probably have already started on your New Year's resolutions um, and diets and all those things you're going to do for the next year, how you're going to be really good at reading the Bible, all that stuff. Um, probably you've already started into that stuff. 
And it's really easy for us to think about meeting a certain status quo, keeping up with the Joneses, even though most of us probably don't know any Joneses. Um, Figuring out what does that look like and what does that mean um, and forgetting who we are and what God has called us to. God has called us to restoring people back to himself. God has called me to uh, thankfully be in a a place where I get to help equip you to do that. To bringing people back to himself. So I hope that as we step in this next year, we, we remember what God is up to and what role do we play in it. Not so much how much money are we going to make this year, how much weight am I going to lose or gain, but what has God called me to? And as I said before, it's one of those things that I, thinking about a position, I was very hesitant to step into something that um, felt like it was painful. Where the peace came was when I realized it wasn't about me. If you think about Ezekiel's life, does it make sense what he went through and what he did? Did it make sense for what God used him for? No. So as you think about where you sit, it may be many things going on in your life right now. No, many of you may have lost loved ones, lost jobs, not sure about a job, financial difficulties, relational difficulties. All those things that clouds us very easily can cloud our view of what God desires. It very easily can cloud our view of who God is and what he's up to. God is in the business of restoring his people back to himself. And over this year, I've gotten the opportunity to see for myself that God is restoring Michael back to himself. I learned really, really well how to talk the language and to walk along. Again, I haven't been in some crazy sand or anything like that. But... To really sit back and think, man, my heart has been kind of hardened to what God truly has for me. When I let go of that, when I finally said, God, I desire a heart of flesh, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, I accept it. I take it. There has been a weight lifted like you could not believe. And being able to say, God, I, I submit. I walk forward in it. When I said it to Coloma, Sitting in Malibu, California, we were sitting in a bed and breakfast, and uh, we got an email from one of the pastors. We were looking, uh, looking for, as you guys know, looking for an executive pastor, and uh, we got an email from one of the pastors that said um, that he was grateful, loved the well, God's doing great things at the well, um, but it just wasn't where God was leading. We saw that email a couple times. Um, <laughs> But he said something very specific in that email. He said, you have an amazing group of leaders, leaders and elders. I will pray that God will raise up someone from the inside to take on this position. Read that email laying in the bed in Malibu, California. And I turned to Cloma and said, guess what? Those are usually scary words in our house. Because <laughs> that means something's about to change, and it was. But the beauty is, I, when I told you earlier, I knew Cloma, she definitely hears from the Lord a lot sooner than I do. Her head's not as thick as mine. Um, she said, okay. It was very clear that God said this was the next step for us. Um, and we're excited about the journey and where he's going to take it and what he's going to do with it uh, as we walk through this process together. In Philippians 4, Philippians 3, I'm sorry. It was read earlier. 
we see Paul's kind of rendition of this. When we know Paul's story was that Paul uh, was a persecutor of Christians. He was one that, uh, before his conversion, sought out people that were anything against the law, um, Jewish law, and uh, persecuting Christians. And then God blinded him and brought him into the kingdom and said, not only am I going to blind you or take you out from what you were doing and taking out Christians and trying to demolish the Christian church, I am now going to make you one of the leaders of the Christian church. And Paul, as you read more in three, talks about how um, if anybody had anything to boast on, it was him. Call himself the Jews amongst Jews and uh, all of the prestige that may come with that. He had position. He had authority. He had reputation. But this is his response to um, his call. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So a man who probably had all of the all of the qualifications was come to a place of humility to say, God, not me, but what you have in store, what you want to do, I submit to that. I said to you earlier when we were reading the Ephesians passage, then um, we looked at the couple of things that we were responsible for. Um, one, about the prophets and teachers to equip individuals for ministry. Then that last one was talking about what each of us might fulfill our role. We are as a staff to help lead and equip you, but God has given each and every one of you a responsibility in this church as well, but even greater in the city of Austin, state of Texas, the United States, and beyond. I hope of anything you've heard today, not so much what Michael has or hasn't been through, but more the fact that God has a desire to use us. God has a desire for people to be restored back to himself. What is your role? What is your call in the midst of that? Is fear keeping you from stepping into it? Is doubt? Are all the pieces not lining up? But are you assured about what God has for you? And if there's an assurance in God's call in your life, there's an assurance of who God has made you to be, walk in it. You've got many around you that are going to support you in that process. But walk in it. We can't do it alone as a staff. But God has a purpose and he has a goal for the church as well in this place. What role are you going to play in it? I humbly, excitedly, fearfully, any of those things, submit to God's call and walking in this new position. But more than that, I submit to his call and who he is and made me in my life. If I was not the new pastor of the well, I can say to you today, I'm excited about who God is in me and what he's going to do with those beyond that I have a chance to touch. I hope he can say the same for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for who you are. Um, God, I thank you that you're real. I thank you that um, your call is real. But God, I think the, the call for us to come back to you is the ultimate. And God, thank you so much for loving us enough that you drew, you drew us back to you. Jesus, thank you. I couldn't do it. I know myself. That's why you came, Jesus. You came to restore us back to yourself, to do the Lord. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you for your life. I am so grateful, Holy Spirit, that you don't leave us alone.
you prompt us, you urge us, you, um, you bring us along. And in the midst of that, we get the chance to enjoy our fellowship with you, God. Thank you for that. God, I pray for anyone in this room right now that is struggling, one, maybe even with salvation, and what does that mean? God, I pray that they have sought clarity through you, Holy Spirit. God, if there's someone in the room today that is struggling with what does it mean uh, for my life to be submitted to God in occupation and just who I am and where I am, um, God, make that clear. But God, I think ultimately, God, help us know who you are in us. And when we know that, God, I think it will come out in all of what we do. We love you, God. We praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen.